As has been mentioned, this weekend is significant for two reasons. This is Christ the King Sunday. This is a Sunday where literally around the world, followers of Jesus across different Christian traditions are gathering together celebrating the wonder and the reality that Jesus Christ is King over all creation. This is actually the culmination of the entire church year. The church year begins as we'll begin next weekend with Advent. We move through that to the Lenten season, to Easter, Pentecost, ordinary time, so that every year at this time, we again come to the incredible declaration, Jesus Christ is King. So it's very fitting that on this weekend, we have a second focus. This is our missions weekend. It's a weekend, in light of the reality that Jesus is king over all creation, we want to consider how we go out with his message. The wonder of that together. How do we go out to the nations? Now, the nations we know are coming to us, thankfully. They've come to Canada. They've come to Calgary, wonderfully so. And we know that each one of us is called to be on mission for Christ and his kingdom in our daily lives right here in Calgary, regardless of our vocation. But today we want to focus on global missions, on us going out to the nations. And we ask the question, therefore, so what is the impetus that drives us to go to the nations? And to answer that, let's go to a very familiar passage in the Gospel of Matthew. Some of you know where I'm heading already. And at the end of the Gospel of Matthew, we're on the other side of the cross. Jesus Christ had been taken to the cross, crucified, died, and was buried. And then on the Easter morning, he rose again. And over the next 40 days, he appeared to his disciples and over 500 other people. Until finally, he gathers with his disciples on the Mount of Olives, and gives them a charge, his final words, before he ascends to heaven. And this is what's recorded. This is in Matthew chapter 28. And as we hear it, remember, this is a word of God. This is what we read beginning in verse 16. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him. But some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age." Now, you perhaps know that Jesus' words here are often called the Great Commission. And maybe if that term is too familiar to us, maybe we could call it the Magnificent Calling. But here's the thing about this commission, this calling. Many presume that this was a new commission. Really, that this is the first time that this commission is given in Scripture. And I want us to be clear, it's not. And really, in order to see that, let's see Jesus' commission here, this calling, in its context. And to do that, let's remember what the grand story of Scripture is. 
We have 66 books in Scripture, but together they form what really is a grand story of four themes. And really the first theme of the story of Scripture is this. It's creation. That God has brought all that exists into being and that he then identified a species upon whom he would place his image. That they would be unique among all species. They would bear the imago Dei, the image of God. And they would then walk in this blessed relationship with the God of creation. So that the world was made for human flourishing. So that you and I, we could live in joy and in the presence of our maker. The first theme is creation. But then the second great theme of the story of scripture is the fall. Because humanity turned from God, we rebelled against God, we sinned against him. And that just didn't bring personal consequences, it brought cosmic consequences, it brought death. And so after the fall, the picture is not one of humanity, it's not one of Adam, now lost, trying to find God in the garden, no. Rather, the picture's Adam now hiding from God. And it is God who seeks him out. In fact, this is how it's described. This is in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 9. It says this. <clears throat> but the Lord God called to the man and said to him, where are you? And so understand this. From this time on, the heart of God is that he seeks us out. God pursues us because he has a plan for reconciliation. There was creation, there was a fall, but then there's the third great theme of the story of scripture, it's redemption. And we see it beginning when God chooses a man named Abram. He would be renamed Abraham. And God chooses Abraham and his descendants, the people of Israel, not to be just some isolated people who could really enjoy the blessing of God just for themselves. No, he chose them to be the source through which he would bring all people, all nations to himself, back into this reconciled union and relationship with God, along with all of creation being transformed. In fact, that's what we read. A bit farther in Genesis, this is chapter 12, verse 3, it says this. God says to Abraham, in you, Abraham, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So understand this, God's intent was never just to pick this people of Israel, just so Israel could have this kind of huddled, safe, blessed gathering as themselves, as if they were the only people God cared about. No. To the people of Israel, God would express this calling. This was through the prophet Isaiah. Listen to what he says. This is in Isaiah 49.6. God said, I will make you as a light for what? the nations, that my salvation, my deliverance, my rescue may reach to the end of the earth. Which tells us, friends, that when, when Jesus then gives this great commission in Matthew 28, he's simply redeclaring what God always wanted from his people, to reach the nations. But as we read the Gospels and in Jesus' encounter with the Jewish religious leaders, the scribes, Pharisees, and others in that time, although there was a remnant of Israel who really sought to live out this commission from God, the leaders of Israel largely, they weren't a reconciling community. They weren't looking to bless other nations, draw other peoples to God. So it therefore need to be 
one seed of Abraham. That the great salvation, rescue, and redemption would come through. Jesus Christ, this child of Abraham, who would be the hope of the world, who would, through his life, death, and resurrection, provide incredible personal cosmic redemption, eventually where all of creation is restored. And for us, it's through faith in him. That's why the Apostle Paul would therefore declare to us and to all who follow Jesus these words. This is in 2 Corinthians 5.19. Paul says, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself. That's what God desires. There is creation, there's fall, there's redemption. And then really the fourth great theme of the story of Scripture is this. It's restoration. We could call it new creation. Because although this restoration, this new creation, it won't come fully until Jesus Christ finally returns. Even now, though, this restoration, this new creation has begun. Which is Jesus' declaration when he said, pray this way, thy kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. So in other ways, friends, the united testimony of Scripture is that our God has from the beginning, throughout the Old Testament been on this Matthew 28 mission to reach all nations, to draw all of creation to himself. That's why Margaret Bogdan puts it this way. Mission is not primarily the activity of a church, but an attribute of God. Because God, understand this, is a missionary God. Okay, so we've got that. Four great themes of Scripture. The grand story of God's Word. And all that then is really brought to bear when we consider Jesus' great commission from Matthew 28. Because Jesus here says in Matthew 28, at the end of his earthly ministry, okay, I want you, my followers, my disciples, I want you to be the instruments, the message, the messengers of my kingdom. I mean, through my resurrected life and power, I want you to look for and bring restoration to the lost creation that fell at the beginning. I want you, my people, I want you to bring healing. I want you to bring deliverance. I want you to bring restoration in me to every nation, to all peoples. So we then ask the question, so what does that look like? I mean, specifically, what does that look like as we physically go to other nations? How is that, that out to the nations, expressed here at Southview? And let, let me just note two of the ways. For one, we are part of a gathering of churches called the Christian and Missionary Alliance. That's really an international collection of churches. In Canada, it's 440 local churches like us. And, and we have a mission together in seeking to reach the nations. We go as a people to the least reached nations and people groups. Meaning that as we are in a particular nation or among a particular people, once the national leaders grow up to enough strength to lead the church, we move on to reach those who are least reached. That's what Grant and Sandy are doing in Asia, 
or Matt and Connie who we pray for in Asia, Dave and Donna, also Christy Hoff, Brad and Laura Lobb, what they're doing in Africa, and then 220 other international workers, most of whom are in what is called creative access countries. That means those are countries that don't typically allow a traditional missionary to come in. You have to go by other means, and that is why also we don't use the names, the last names, of many of our international workers, both for their safety and the safety of those they're reaching out to. That's one way we're involved here. But secondly, in addition to the international work with the Alliance, we also at South, you have kind of strategic partnerships with and, and focus on two specific countries. We are seeking to pour in, for one, to Ethiopia. Maybe you've noticed on the last number of Lenten seasons, we have given to the mid-highlands region of Sasiga in Ethiopia, trying to build up the communities in that region. We want to pour into Ethiopia. But then secondly, we want specifically to reach out to, with the love and reality of Jesus, to Costa Rica. Now, if you can't picture Costa Rica, it's just south of Mexico there, just above Panama. Now, understand this about Costa Rica. 22% of that population lives in poverty. And we've sent a number of teams down there. We have a team going again in February. And over the years, there's been, I, we'd call it a providential partnership with a ministry called Moviendo Esperanzas, which means moving hope. And here's the great thing this weekend. We have three of the leaders from that ministry up from Costa Rica in Calgary this weekend. And in fact, can you three stand? We have Sylvia, Fabio, and Adelita who are here with us. Yes, Fabio is in the building. Can you welcome them? <clears throat> and Adelita. I want Adelita to join you here for a moment so you can hear a bit of what's happening there, how we're partnering we are so thankful we're here. Thank you. You are here. Thank and we are so sorry there's so much snow. Yeah. We did what we could. But we're glad cold. you're here. Yeah. And, and you need to know this about Adelita. Adelita, for a number of years, was just was working her job. And God called her to begin a new ministry about 15 years ago to go out in faith and start Moviendo Esperanzas. Yeah. And, and there's really a threefold emphasis yes. to what you're doing there in Costa Rica. Can you share about those three Yes, we work uh, on health, education, and community development. Uh, these are three areas that uh, we do. On the health area, uh, we have a project called Hop on Wheels, which is a, a wheelchair project. And we donate wheelchairs uh, all around Costa Rica. And thank you to, uh, to you all that have been donating for, for Moviendo Esperanzas. And, uh, and, and in the health area also, there is a, a, something that called us to do, it is to respond in a dis disaster relief. Mm. So uh, there is a disaster, as you all know, in Venezuela, right, where people are suffering. There is a disaster in Nicaragua. And more and more, uh, we're here in more countries in Latin America, coming into, into economic and political situations. They need to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. So we've been sent to those countries uh, just to be 
uh, hearing the needs of the pastors and to teach them how to face uh, a crisis. So we've been deployed into these uh, countries teaching over uh, almost 5,000 pastors in Latin America. Wow. And from that beginning of faith, and, and yes. really one of the ways that we initially partnered uh, with you was through the Operation Christmas Child shoe boxes, like we have a few hundred out there that we're gonna be sending out. Can you share about the impact of those shoe boxes? Yeah, it is uh, probably for you a simple gift. But what is making uh, in Costa Rica, it's a great impact in children's lives. But as you all know, every child will take a shoe box and will bring it to a home. So, and they will call the dad and the moms, let's go to the church, let's go to whatever I received the shoe box. So it's reaching out the, the, the families, the communities. For example, for us it's a tool because it doesn't end only with the shoe box. That is the beginning. Because there is the greatest journey, which is the discipleship program that we developed. And with the program, we go to the public schools that we can now, right? And uh, we say, okay, this is the shoe boxes we want to distribute for all the students. Let's say 900 students is how we started in one of the public schools. Because at uh, DHL, the transportation company, they asked us to do that. Can you imagine? Mm -hmm. That is God, oh, yeah. right? So we were in that public school, and not only the children heard the gospel of Jesus Christ, but the teachers, the principal of the school. And then what we were seeing is that they were calling us for us to pray for them. So people started coming to know the Lord, and people starting to say, reconcile with God. So right this, is, this is the call. And this is what we're doing now. Right on. And so from that, just a simple shoebox, open the door yeah. to over 900 students and faculty being discipled yeah. in a public school. I mean, God's hand in this. Yes. And it, along with that, Adelita, you've mentioned that the way we need to minister now is changing, even in Costa Rica. Yeah. That the initial lead, can you share about what is changing in that way? Yeah, I will say that uh, back in the, in the 80s, uh, we were going out to, to parks and to preach the gospel. I was doing my testimony and uh, all other friends and uh, with a lot of youth. And people would come to know the Lord. But now, that is changing a lot. People are expecting uh, to be rich in a tangible way. So if you have arms, you can hug. If you have ears, ears, you can hear their needs. And if you have food to give, just do that. Like as in Costa Rica, as you see the jewelry I'm wearing today is beautiful, right? Uh, uh, those are made uh, by the Virtuous Woman Project. So we reach the ladies in the Caribbean and now in the north part of the country. And we teach them how to do craft. And they make it and they sell it. So it is a meaning for, for them. They, they now are saying, I cannot believe that out of my hands, beautiful things can come out. And it's, it doesn't finish there because we share the gospel of Jesus Christ. So the gospel of Jesus Christ has to be in all the things we do. Wow. 
Yeah. Amen. Yeah. And Adelita, again, started this just in faith, moving out, and now yeah. literally reaching nations yes. with that. And the great thing is Adelita, Sylvia, and Fabio are going to be at a table down at South End of Cardo by the shoeboxes. If you would like to talk to them afterwards, we have a team going down in February. We'll be having more if she's drawing you to that. Will you yeah. welcome Adelita for joining us today? Thank you, Thank sister. you. Thank you. <clears throat> As is often said about Adelita, she would actually have an impact if she had some passion about this, don't you think? <laughs> and we have the joy of partnering together. You know, when we hear these words, you, you hear Adelita share what Grant and Sandy did, the, the lobs, about the work of God to the nations. We read about the Great Commission in the Old and New Testament. And I think we therefore need to ask, so what's my part in this? You know, we as a body have kept that central for us. We know we have to have this in our DNA. The church symbol that you use, that, that we see in our viewpoint, maybe you've seen it other places. It, it reminds us of what our calling is, that symbol. Because at the heart of our church symbol, for one, there's the cross. And, and that's to remind us that above all, we're to walk in that up relationship with God, the gift of walking with him. Secondly, there's the circle of the symbol. That's to remind us we're not to walk alone in this, but together, in, with one another, encouraging one another. But doesn't stop with up or in. Then there is out. The arrows of the symbol are to remind us that we are called by God to go out. That has to be what we're about as a local church. Up, in, and out. And so again, we ask, if that's collectively our calling, what's my part? So we, before we come to communion and we save that together, I want to do that. I want to ask that question. I want to consider what then is my part in this magnificent calling? Because this missional work to other nations really in Scripture involves four components, four roles we could say. And therefore, we each need to identify what is my role in this work? Four roles. The first role is simply this. Somebody has to send. Somebody has to send. Like just one example of this in the New Testament is the church in Antioch. Maybe you recall that the church in Antioch was the first place where followers of Jesus were actually called Christians. And this is what was taking place as the church of Antioch was being prompted to reach the nations. Acts 13, verse 2 says this. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and they sent them off. So being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia and from there they sailed to Cyprus. And so just want us to be aware, when we send an individual or a team out to the nations, there are two senders. There is us, there is the church, but understand this. It is actually the Spirit, the Holy Spirit that is sending them. That's why whenever there's an individual or a group from our church body that goes out to the nations, whether they be short-term or long-term, that's why we gather around them up here and we pray for them as a family. 
Because we are called as a body to send them out knowing it is the Holy Spirit who is actually sending and empowering them. Amen? So that's the first role, to send. It's a work of the church and of the Spirit. But there's a second component or role that's required as we go to the nations. Somebody has to give. Someone has to give. You know, in 1 Corinthians 16, the Apostle Paul, he's exhorting the church in Corinth. Again, Corinth was in Greece. To join in giving to the church in another nation, in Palestine, in Jerusalem, which at that point was in an impoverished condition. And so listen to Paul's guidance to this church in Corinth. This is 1 Corinthians 16.1. Now concerning the collection for the saints, that's a collection for the followers of Jesus in Jerusalem. As I directed the church of Galatia, so also you are to do. On the first day of every week, meaning when they would gather like this for worship at the start of the week, each of you is to put something aside and store it up as he may prosper. Okay, so Paul kind of modeling and teaching here. If we're going to reach the nation's church, it requires our financial support, our generosity, our giving. From each of you, he says. Doing it in a planned way. Planning now what I will set aside in financial support. That's what Paul called them to do in Corinth. So you ask the question, okay, so what happened? How did they respond to that call? Well, really the follow-up to that story is given in Paul's second letter to the Corinthian church. This is what was taking place. 2 Corinthians 8, verse 3. Paul said, for they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and they gave beyond their means, of their own accord. Listen, they were begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in this relief of the saints. So you got this picture? Paul is saying, okay, I went to the church, we did our thing, got the offering, service ended. They were begging me to take their financial gifts. So today I'm going to wait at the doors outside. I want you to beg me to give more. The Spirit prompting us, saying, we want to invest in the kingdom in the nations. So we ask the question, okay, well, specifically, what then does that look like for us here? Well, one of the ways that we can give is through what we call our missions fund here at Southview. You can go to our website or in Realm. If you'd like to give towards missions, you can do that specifically, as we are part of reaching the nations. But know this, as we do that here at Southview, we are part of the Christian Missionary Alliance in Canada. And together, we 440 churches have what's called the Global Advance Fund. Our giving goes to invest in these 220 international workers around the world. We have that opportunity. But also, God might be prompting you to support some other ministry. Maybe your heart's gonna be prompted to give to Moviendo Esperanzas, or maybe to Samaritan's Purse, some way and say, I wanna invest in reaching the nations. Because how do we reach the nations? Well, for one, someone has to send and someone has to give. But then there's a third component, a third role, and it's this. Someone needs to pray. You know, as Paul was continuing on his missionary journeys to many nations, this is what he asked of the church in Thessalonica. Listen to his invitation to them. 2 Thessalonians 3, verse 1. Paul says this. Finally, brothers, pray for us. Pray for what? Pray that the word of the Lord may speed ahead and be honored as happened among you in Thessalonica. And then secondly, pray that we may be delivered from wicked and evil men, 
for not all have faith, but the Lord is faithful. Okay, so as followers of Jesus, as, as they went out to the nations, there was always a calling for those who would stay behind to stand with them alongside of them in prayer. But here's the thing. Even in that day, the church often forgot. That's why they had to be exhorted again and again. That's why Paul would write to the church in Thessalonica. This is 1 Thessalonians 5.17. Church, pray without ceasing. That's why Jesus would say in Luke 18.1, Jesus told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart as they prayed. That's why James would say in his epistle in James 5.16, the prayer of a righteous person has what? Great power as it's working. And so what do we pray? Among other things, we pray for two things, just like Paul encouraged to the Thessalonian church. We pray that the word of God might bear fruit as it's shared, and we pray secondly for the protection of those who oppose the gospel, protection against those who oppose the gospel. So let me ask this. Could you commit to being a regular prayer supporter for one of our international workers who's serving overseas? For example, could you right now say, you know what? I'm going to get on the prayer list. I'm going to stand in the gap in prayer for Ian and Rebecca as they're serving in Africa, or Adelita and Moviendo Esperanzas, or Brad and Laura, or another. Because if we're going to reach the nations, we need to, one, understand who's sending. We need to give. We need to pray. And then there's a fourth essential component. Somebody has to go. They'll go where? Next door? Yeah, absolutely, yes. Across the street? Yes. In your workplace, in your school? Yes. To our nation? Without question. That, that is a calling on every one of us. But also, beloved, some need to go to the nations. And understand this. God's word makes it very clear. As we go out to the nations, listen to what Jesus promised to the church, to us. This is in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Jesus promised, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will therefore be my witnesses in Jerusalem, right where you are, and then on to Judea in Samaria, and then to the end of the earth. Called to go to the whole world. Who? Possibly you. Could God be stirring your heart to go to other nations with the good news and kingdom of Christ? Maybe it'll be short term. Some kind of team. Maybe it'll be longer term. And really, if you're thinking in your mind, well, I'm not really a Bible teacher. I'm not really a preacher. Maybe it could be a support work. Just tangible help for that international ministry that's going on. Because understand this, John Stott put it this way, really echoing Adelita's words. We are sent into the world like Jesus to serve. For this is a natural expression of our love for our neighbors. We love, we go, we serve. And it is also true that the gospel lacks visibility if we merely preach it. And it lacks credibility if we who preach are interested only in souls and have no concern about the welfare of people's bodies, situations, and communities. Which means for us, friends, those with entrepreneurial skills, they are needed in the nations, financial capabilities, 
Maybe you're a tradesperson. Business acumen are needed overseas. So are you open to saying, yes, Father, I'll consider that. For example, Brad and Laura were sharing that the Dakar Academy in Dakar, Senegal, where they are serving, they just expressed a need for 10 elementary school teachers for next year. Could that be you? Maybe saying, you know what? I'll give a year to the nations in this way. Or might it be somewhere else? Will you take the next step in discerning? And to that end, talk to me, one of our pastors about this, our, our missions leadership team, who's going to be serving us communion. You can ask one of them, how do I step forward in this? Maybe you want to talk to Brad and Laura. They walked this journey four years ago. We want to be part of discerning this with you, supporting you as you consider how God might be prompting you. Because here's the reality. Perhaps your response to God needs to be like Isaiah's. Remember what Isaiah said? Isaiah 6, 8. Isaiah said, and then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send? Who will go for us? And there I said, then I said, here am I, send me. Would we have the boldness to say that to God? Friends, Jesus Christ is king of all creation. And we, will we, as a body then, in light of that wonder, faithfully send to the nations? Could you be one who gives or who prays? Could you be one who goes? And it's fitting then as we consider this reality, this calling, that we then come to the table of communion. And, and we come together again with the men and women of faith across the nations today. We break bread, remembering what Christ has done and the wonder of his body broken for us, receiving from him. We pass the cup. We wait till we all receive it. And remember, his blood was poured out for us. And in this, fed by him. And perhaps for you today, you're receiving this bread and cup. And as you do, you'll be asking, Father, give me your wisdom. I am open to you. So can I do this? Can I lead us in a prayer uh, before we come to communion and want to give you an opportunity to respond to God in this? So will you, can we all bow our heads together in this? I just want this to be a moment between you and God in this. And again, I'd ask you this. What is God saying to you right now? Is he prompting, is he put on your heart in some way to consider praying or giving, or going. In fact, would you do this? If, if God is stirring your heart in one of those three ways, if you are open to considering how he's prompting you, would you do this? Would you just, between you and God, our heads are bowed, would you just raise your hand up to God as a way of physically saying, yes, Father, I, I'll be open to you. And so, Father, we come praying where we are hesitant that you would give us a boldness and courage. Oh, Father, we would ask by your grace, would you bless us with the gift of demonstrating Christ, expressing Christ to other peoples and nations? Would you even today be prompting us to pray and give and go with boldness, we pray. And so as we come to this table, we do with thanksgiving, praying you would feed us in it, and lead us to yourself and to our King, Jesus, our Savior. And all God's people say,
Amen. Let's come to the table.